0: This podcast might have bad words because my daddy says words like sh and other bad words too much. Listener description is advice. Welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads, where dads talk about life, kids, and stuff. I am your host, Joe Shaw. John and Golan were not able to make it this week, so I went solo and went one-on-one with our guest this week. I spoke with Fort Worth ISD school board member Jacinto Ramos Jr., or as he's better known, Cinto. Uh, you may remember him from a couple of episodes we had him on towards the beginning of the show a couple years ago, where we spoke about his journey uh, from a parent to a Fort Worth ISD school board member, as well as in the back half of the episode, the five stages of race, racial relations in America as it relates to a white person and a person of color, Uh, We recently had him on earlier this year with Frank Minicon of Melanin Origins and host of the Quad podcast to discuss what it means to be a man in today's society. We talk about Sinto's work in the 4th ISD school districts, work that they've already done and a lot of work that they have to do. Uh, We also touch a little bit about the ever-changing politics here in Texas and what this uh, Senate race looks like. I do want to say at the beginning of the episode, I feel like it's worth noting that we have gotten a lot of positive feedback from having Cinto on as a guest uh, from everybody across the political spectrum. People have felt very educated by Cinto. He is an educator and they felt empowered that he has spoken truth to power. And I want to say, I know that there, uh, social media divides us a lot of times. And because it is no- it's getting close to November and election day, tensions are running high. But I want to say that whoever you are, whatever political spectrum you identify, or wherever on the political spectrum you identify, I want you to come into this episode with an open mind, We talk a lot about, in the episode, people having an emotional response first, then a thoughtful response. I want you to go ahead, clear the emotions away, have a nice, thoughtful, open mind. You don't have to agree with everything that's said, but I do think there is a lot of knowledge that is shared in here that everyone could benefit from. So without further ado, here is Cinto. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is friend of the podcast. He's been on a couple times, Mr. Jacinto Ramos Jr., a member of the 4th ISD School Board. Uh, Mr. Jacinto, thank you for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. Always good to see you guys.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I was kind of talking to you before we went on air about how... It's something that I'd wanted to have you back on the show again, and uh, the very first time we spoke, we were having a good conversation about uh, the five stages of race in America for both people of color and white people and what we can do to kind of bridge that divide. We didn't know it at the time when we were recording, but it was when all of that uh, was going on in Charlottesville with the protests and, uh, I mean, with the statues and with everything that happened during that time back in 2017, and so... uh, we are recording this. Uh, a word of note: I know this episode is not going to drop until October 15th, but we are recording this on the day formerly known as Columbus Day here uh, here in the United States, and now it is, uh, for the most part, across the country, being known as uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day, which uh, the city of Dallas just as of today recognized. Uh, I think it's officially October 12th as Indigenous People's Day, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly the date that they chose, but I know that it's going to coincide at least close to what the National Holiday of Columbus Day is
0: for right. sure. And I know that they worked hand-in-hand hand with the, uh, it was the, I believe, the Red-Handed Warrior Society. I was trying to uh, do my research, and if I remember correctly, I'm trying to pull up to fact-check myself. Uh, but I believe that was the group, and what their mission is to do is to try and, and have uh, just more recognition for uh, the native peoples of this land that came before us. And that is a great... My phone is not working, so I will have to fact check that here in a minute. But um, beyond that, what I really wanted to do, uh, for those that are not aware... Uh, Mr. Cinto is a, uh, I'll give a little bio on him. He's a community leader, works with youth on issues involving multiculturalism, community pride, and building a strong cultural identity. The son of immigrant parents from Mexico, Cinto has worn many hats from serving as a youth specialist for the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Fort Worth's Coming Up Gang Intervention Program to his current position as community service restitution supervisor at Tarrant County Juvenile Services. Uh, Mr. Ramos Jr. was elected to serve on the Fort Worth ISD School Board of Trustees on June 15, 2013. And on May 26, 2015, he became the youngest Fort Worth ISD School Board President and the first Latino Fort Worth ISD School Board President from the north side of Fort Worth. Uh, Mr. Ramos Jr. has received many awards, such as the Superior Achievement Award by the National Organization of Hispanics in Criminal Justice, the 2010 Mike Moncrief Believing in Youth Award from Santa Fe Youth Services, and the Visionary Edict Award from Magdaleno Leadership Institute. He was also inducted into the Tarrant County Fatherhood Coalition Fathers Hall of Fame in 2010, and uh, you were born and raised in the north side of Fort Worth, Texas, uh, which you reside today, and those that have listened to the show know that you uh, moved, to, to quote you, moved out of the hood and then returned to help affect uh, change.
1: That's that's correct. <laughs> exactly, the way, exactly the way I put it. Yeah,
0: and you know we we got a lot of really positive feedback, and we still we still continue to get some today. I know that I posted out on social media that we were having you back on the show today, and I I got several messages from from a lot of my uh, friends and listeners to the show who are on both sides of the political spectrum, and they said that the episode where you spoke about the five stages of uh, race relations in America was so inspiring and empowering for them that both both groups of people learned a lot. And I think that's one of the big things that uh, you're a proponent of is education. Education for white people, education for people of color, so we can help kind of, not kind of, but help affect change here in this country.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it's, it's what I have the privilege and the honor of uh, teaching at texas christian university particularly in the intro course which is called engaging in differences in diversity and uh, we usually start off by just saying that race isn't rocket science that it's harder than rocket science and the reason that that is is because it's not taught in k-12 through 12 school systems and that's also by design so by, by recognizing history from a different lens and what I get uh, whether people agree with the theory or not, critical race theory references um, the the pros and cons of, of how uh, we engage in those conversations. And one of those is interest convergence. And interest convergence is that I, as a person of color and white people that are allies, have to continually try to find ways to engage other populations who may not necessarily want to, right? But uh, once they do, and once they're able to break this down on an academic level... It's a different conversation so that we don't come from a feeling quadrant, which is usually what happens, is when people engage in a conversation about race, they usually come from a feeling quadrant where they don't necessarily have all the facts, and that's not necessarily their fault either. So I'm quick to say that when someone wants to engage in a conversation about race and they want to tell me how they feel about it, that's completely appropriate. And then once that's done, then I'll tell them, so how did you gather your information and your facts? And I definitely don't claim to know everything about race. I just know that I, the more I study, the more uh, I learn, and the more frustrating I guess it could really, really be And that knowing to, to unpackage race is, is a journey in of itself before we even get to talking about who's racist or what racism is doing. We got to first unpackage that concept of, of race.
0: Right. You know, one of the things that I saw – uh, online after, you know, or I've seen, there's been lots of positive articles about you in the news, and then uh, one article from earlier this year uh, called out saying that you were warning Hispanic students about white America, and uh, I, I I laughed at the title because I, I kind of knew where it was going, and, and it talked about how you, and uh, it was also State Representative Ramon Romero, Jr., had a uh, show showed the documentary film *Ascension*, telling the rags-to-riches tale of a Mexican boy who runs away at age thirteen, comes to the U.S. through hard work and perseverance, becomes a success and an American citizen. And it the article goes on to talk about how you proceeded to tell students essentially what you told us here on the podcast, which is that the racial construct in America was set up with the idea that the white man is superior, based off of Johann Bloomberg's. Uh, theory that people used and, and jumped to and then built racial constructs off of that. And so what you've been saying is, hey, students of color, the history books that you're reading and the way that history has been constructed has been constructed on this one certain premise, and we need to change the narrative. We need to learn more about ourselves and empower ourselves and take control of what's equally yours. And that's essentially what the article says. That's exactly what. I've known you for and what you've come on our show to talk about. And so it, it, it goes back to what you were talking about, how people react with their feelings first. And then you have to be able to have that conversation with them from a logical standpoint.
1: Yeah. And and it would be nice if the individuals who have quote unquote been attacking me and my, uh, you know, the, the so-called rhetoric, it's, it's it's the it's the first of feelings, the second of phobias. Right. And so that's that's all I'm noticing, right, is that that is the that is the technique that is best used uh not only to to scare uh white individuals if there's any kind of a truth to a fear of the the boom in the Latinx community where we now know that the brown community, the Latino, Latina, Latinx is going to be by far the majority by 2022. Right. Um, I'm well aware that that comes with fears and phobias for some, not for all. And for those that do, that kind of rhetoric obviously fuels the fire. And all I'm simply doing is saying, look, I have learned the English language. I have studied and, and gone to school as what was uh, what, what, what is supposed to happen. But what I think is happening with some of these groups is I don't think they like what we have to say when we get to the levels of education that we've gotten to. We know better. We've pulled the wool off of our eyes. We see the construct for what it is. We see the system for the way it is. In the analogy that I use repeatedly, it's it's as if we're in the matrix and we can now see the green letters and green numbers coming down the screen. Right. And so when we see that, we can't sit there uh, and, and just take it. We being people that are conscious. So one is to have a conversation of people that understand the social construct of race, how it operates, how it's designed the way it is to do what it's been doing. And then the other one is then how to disrupt it, uh, how to um, uh, force the system to shift and to change. That's a whole nother conversation that requires people of all walks of life, including white people and including people of color who are unconscious. So I've constantly been saying that we are promoting what W.E.B. Du Bois spoke about when he described the talented 10th. The talented 10th were the 10% of black people, and really he was being more specific to black men at the times in the early 1900s, that is the responsibility of the 10% to wake up the other 90%. So that to me is a conversation of conscious versus unconscious. Why the hashtag that I released today is woke versus sleep. So those that are conscious versus those that are unconscious. The unfortunate part is that because most of society has been conditioned under the the parameters of the way the systems were designed, most people are unconscious when it comes to the conversation about race. So anyone that comes and speaks against it or tries to disrupt it becomes an agitator, a radical, a militant, when all I'm simply saying is I'm so conscious and I'm so aware that part of my job is to go and get my brothers and sisters of all walks of life to engage in the same conversation. Because this rhetoric of fear and phobia is so dominating that it even consumes people of color to want to sustain the same system. Right. And it's, this isn't a conversation of fighting white people. It's, it's one where we are repeatedly saying people of color need you to stop resisting so much, need you to recognize that you yourself are not reflective in the history and in the books. And that's relevant as to what happened that day in that auditorium at Northside High School. What they didn't say is that this is a 90 plus percent brown community that uh, nearly half estimated, have have or, or, or have family members or they themselves are undocumented. And so they're not gonna come into that school to talk to them because that's not who they wanna see. And so when they're when they're knocking me or Ramon Romero, our state rep, we were received really well because we're from these communities. Right. But an outside person can throw uh, jabs all they want and throw off radio waves where they don't mm-hmm. have to come and live with us right. and sit by our side and see how these levels of oppression are, are affecting our communities.
0: And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that you talked about as far as a, a fear rhetoric. And it gets to the point where, quite honestly, a lot, of, a lot of history is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to hear how, I mean, honestly, how it truly was. And it, because you've been told this certain rhetoric, this certain way of constructing a story and a narrative for so many years that it, it almost feels, it not only feels uncomfortable, it almost feels uh, a little wrong when you're, uh, like myself, a white, straight male it's something that's uncomfortable. I mean, I, I, honestly, I wasn't told about the Japanese internment camps in World War II until, way, until college, and that was way too late. But it was something that I didn't believe because I had never heard it before. And then, you know, we've got Google, we've got the internet. So I did some research, I did some digging, and I went, no, not only was this real, it was a great atrocity. And, and you see a lot of similar patterns of behavior happening now Based off of a fear rhetoric, because that is what ultimately the internment camp started out as was a fear rhetoric. And it's something that the U.S. has repeatedly apologized for now. But, it, you know, it, to your point, it, it's uncomfortable and it makes people want to lash out with an emotional response rather than have a constructive conversation that brings people together.
1: There's a book that's called Leacher, uh, i sorry, Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen. And and that book begins to unpackage the way history has been written and placed into our public school systems and private schools, too, and and how it just doesn't add up. And the the reality is that people of color who have not always been in a majority um, have not always had the opportunities to change the narrative. And again, that's where critical race theory comes in. I mentioned interest convergence earlier. Now I'm going to reference the counter-narrative. That's, in essence, what myself and Ramon Romero and others are doing. We are bringing that counter-narrative to the forefront, and it's making a lot of people uncomfortable, and we're okay with that part of it. And then to just kind of segue into what's been happening in Fort Worth ISD, we, we last year passed the African Africana studies, uh, which was in May of 20, uh, sorry, not last year, Was it, it was 20, 2016. Uh, And so when we passed the African African Africana Studies, it was to um, give our black children their history from a point of liberation, one that did not start in physical slavery, but one that actually goes back to the African continent. Well, not too long after that does the movie uh, Black Panther come out and kind of helps with speeding up the process for why we did African Africana Studies. What we just did Latino, Latina, Latinx studies uh, just last month. So what's next on deck is women and gender studies. And so again, you're seeing Fort Worth Independent School District having the courage to bring the toughest uh, topics to, to the boardroom so that we can ingrain it in the system and begin to undo the things that folks at a statewide and national level have done to us. So then that leads us to today even the naming of American Indian Heritage Day, on a national level, folks are saying, well, we prefer it be called Indigenous Peoples Days. And so I myself had come into the room with that mental model and then come to find out that our local students and parents preferred the term American Indian. They wanted it personal, local, and immediate to how they identified here in Fort Worth, Texas. So who am I as a Latino, uh, Mexican-American person of Indigenous background myself from Mexico area, who am I to tell them how to call themselves and how to identify? So we went with what they asked, and they said, we feel invisible in Fort Worth Independent School District. They said, we're glad that y'all are doing all this racial equity work, but where do we fit into all of this? And we were the original people here on the land. So Fort Worth ISD, we, we uh, took the term uh, that, that they embraced that they're comfortable with. And at the end of the day, what's happening today, it's happening on my social media, people are now having conversations. Well, do we call them Native Americans, American Indians, indigenous
0: peoples? Right, wrong, or indifferent, we're for once having a conversation. Right. And that's the whole point is bringing this to the forefront so that way people can have these conversations as opposed to the conversation of, well, it's been fine this way. for you know, My favorite, my favorite <laughs> uh, I guess, colloquialism that I hear is, Look, it was fine back when I was a kid. Well, no, it wasn't. It's just nobody said anything. <laughs> no. Right. Um, now, talking about uh, the studies, one, that is one thing that I wanted to really commend, commend the, the board for doing and helping to pass was the, the, the Latinx studies. And that was something that I know that several students went down to Austin to speak on, on uh, the board's behalf, if I, if I recall correctly, about passing that, so that way they would have better representation within history, uh, within their schools. And yeah, that-
1: absolutely. There's a beautiful part to that. Um, it, it was for the Mexican American studies, and again, our My Brother's Keeper chapters have been having these conversations in the in in their schools, to so where we're also having conversations about when do we stand in solidarity with one another, and the the, the students are becoming aware that the State Board of Education had been entertaining, uh, changing the narrative around slavery to indentured servitude. And so our, our Latino students said, no, that's not cool. We got to call it what it is. Right. And so our, our black students obviously were not okay with that. And so one day was specifically talking about the Mexican-American studies and our black students said, we will stand in solidarity with our brown brothers. So all four... Two black, two brown spoke on each subject together to demonstrate to the State Board of Education that if one of us isn't safe, then none of us are safe. And so that's, in essence, what happened down in Austin, Texas, when our My Brother's Keeper went down to what we say. We call it speaking their truth. They went down there to speak their truth, and I think that a lot of people paid attention.
0: Absolutely. One of the things that I, you know, it, it's it, it's tough because I, I when I was doing research for for this, and and I had seen this pass before because I, I follow the, the fourth I S D and I follow you as well on social media, but it's it, it almost got lost in the shuffle because during the time when that was approved was also the time when there were all the headlines about to remove certain uh, female uh, historical figures from the curriculum, and in an effort to to streamline learning, and it, it's frustrating because you have on the one hand such a positive moment where they are approving the, uh, the ethnic studies, Mexican-American studies course, while at the same time voting to streamline a lot of, you know, like I know two of the names that had been picked up were Helen Keller and Hillary Clinton as two people to remove from history books, uh, as, just as an example. But it's how do you, I guess, how do you as a school board member Balance the the wins and losses, or not so much wins and losses, but maybe uh, gains and losses for what appears to be learning for your students. You know, trying to enjoy the, the the fact that something finally got approved, while also keeping an eye on some things that are being taken away. Uh, how do you kind of balance those two?
1: You know, the balance is is honestly that as a student of history and knowing how things play out is that the fights the fights never going to be, be, it's never going to be easy, and as we're trying to cover up one set of holes, another set of holes will be made, and so I think that at this point, part of the strategy is to ensure that young people are conscious and woke to where they themselves are going to do the advocating, right? The adults, I very well could go away and ride off into the sunset, I could lose an election, uh, any, a lot of things could happen, but more and more young people becoming conscious and speaking their truth and holding the system accountable. I think that's the ultimate strategy and the game plan of what we we seek to do. So this this work isn't for the weak. Uh, this work right here requires a heck of a lot of energy. Uh, in conversations, we we call them the three P's: their passion, practice, and persistence. So we have to have a lot of passion. We have to be practicing and doing the work, and we have to be persistent in ensuring that the system is adjusted and recalibrated to better serve the children that that it was hopefully going to be redesigned to serve.
0: Right. One of the things that I noticed uh, still speaking on education is when uh, there was a part where Betsy DeVos got into, I guess, maybe a, a little bit of hot water, and that's speaking about Education Secretary Betsy DeVos stating that local communities and schools should decide whether to call federal authorities on students lacking immigration status. And that was something where I noticed that the the fourth ISD back in 2017 approved a resolution declaring schools welcoming and safe to all students regardless of their immigration status, essentially stating that, you know, constitutionally speaking, all children have the right to enroll in public schools regardless of their immigration status under our nation's civil rights laws, Schools cannot be in the business of immigration enforcement or discrimination. And so kind of my question to that is should, you know, Ms. DeVos' comments have been more geared towards, as the education secretary, should her focus be more on improving schooling as a whole as opposed to, you know, possibly saying something that may have been her opinion that is ended up causing students to kind of to live in fear until this kind of this resolution for example by the 4th ISD school board was put into place.
1: Yeah, so the simple answer is is exactly what you said towards the end. <laughs> they, uh, she and a number of other leaders in our country are going off of opinions and not actually off of facts and what the laws of the land say. Um, so yeah, what we're dealing with uh, if, if you're going to leave it up to us locally, then that's what we're going to say locally. But we also recognize and understand that the rules are changed at any given time when uh, a majority of people in power are not content. So that could change uh, on any given day. But you ask us locally, we put it out there. Right. We're not in the business of immigration. Yep.
0: And you know, it's just one of those things, kind of, kind of pivoting on like I guess, semi. Controversial topics. One thing that really caught my eye recently, because we are in, you know, in the midst of high school football season, and there was an article that came out right before the start of it about how Fort Worth ISD is going to address potential national anthem protests. Essentially, whether or not students need to stand or if they're allowed to kneel or peacefully protest in some other way, how will that be handled? You, you see it across the country. People have a very specific opinion. Uh, one way or the other. But I know that the district came out and said that the district is strongly encouraging all students to respect and obey the law, but that there is no law requiring people to stand for the anthem. And I know that you had been quoted as saying, uh, if students choose to take a knee or protest in another peaceful manner, 4th ISD will not be disciplining those young people. And I think one thing that I really appreciated as far as a school board standpoint says is that, look, you know, we stand behind our students, our job first and foremost is to be educators and caretakers of our students. And that if they choose to protest, as long as it's peaceful and doesn't violate any laws, then what harm is there in that? And and I think people get lost in the shuffle on a national standpoint, thinking that it's a disgrace or or that it's, you know, somehow insulting to our veterans. But I think, you know, you and the other school board members said it, said it well when they stated that when you say that if they choose to protest in a peaceful manner, it's not—it's not wrong. It's—it's it's their right as as Americans and as as young people as well.
1: Yeah, the, the again the law is really clear on this for public school education setting, and and I wasn't speaking obviously to anything related to the NFL or or right. as as an right. NFL owner or or any of that. I knew I knew that once I saw that, the way the title came out in the local paper, uh, I knew that that was probably geared towards getting some clicks. And oh, it, sure. it's I'm pretty sure it got the clicks that it deserved. I also then felt compelled to accept the invitations from the local media to go on camera and to speak what we tell our young people, speak truth to power. And so I, I'm constantly catching myself in situations where I'm having to model what Courageous Conversations work looks like, Uh, and and also understanding that I represent a 90-plus percent Latinx community. So any other group who opposes what I'm saying or what I'm trying to get across is really almost sometimes irrelevant in that I know where I live and I know who I answer to, right? So in in my community, uh, these are hot topics, and they're not usually seen eye-to-eye with people that are in positions of power. And we have plenty of veterans in our community as well. So I knew that addressing that head on, I was gonna stick to the facts. And the facts were we have constitutional laws that protect our students, that allow them to protest peacefully. And at the end of the day, I really do believe that that's the country that uh, I'm privileged to live in and partake in in society because we do have that opportunity. And again, I'm going to go back to history. I know that when the narrative doesn't fit those in positions of power, there is a, a quick move to try to um, undo that. And, and another example is going to be SB4. You know, people, uh, pr- pr- primarily brown brown people uh, were walking around fearing, still fearing uh, laws like that, because once the positions uh, or the people in positions of power can't get what they want and how they want it. And they see those numbers are just blowing up with my community uh, um, becoming a majority. It's almost as if we really do expect these kinds of laws and policies to come in play. So I sit in a position of power and authority as a school board trustee, that I do have the opportunity to speak on it. And I don't don't take that lightly. So this wasn't a knock on our veterans. This was really just an opportunity and and a teaching moment for our students who are saying, Mr. Ramos, if you really say you're about young people, let's see what you got. Right. Let's see what you're about. And so going on camera was an opportunity to be able to speak directly to that issue. And I, may, I have my own opinions about all of that, but this wasn't
0: about my opinions. This was about speaking to what the level of the law is. Absolutely. One person that I know that kind of went viral for his comments on on protest was uh, Congressman O'Rourke who is running for Texas Senate this year and you know in his video the biggest thing that he was asked was he said look we as americans it is our right to be able to protest peacefully or to stand or to do whatever you want because it's not a it's not a in in his words it's not a disgrace to to the veterans who fought for us to have the freedom. It's more, you know, they gave us the freedom to be able to sit or stand and have these conversations about why are you sitting? Why are you standing? Why are you peacefully protesting? What are you trying to achieve? What message is it? What do we need to learn? What do we need to gain from that? And his point was, whatever side you're on, there's a conversation to be had to bring people together. And if what you're doing is allowing people to have that conversation, like you had said about the, the conversation people are having about American Indian heritage, indigenous people uh, heritage, you know, however, they're having that conversation that previously there wasn't a conversation being had. And that is the most important aspect of that. Uh, speaking a little to uh, Mr. O'Rourke, uh, Beto, if you will, what do you think, or do you think, I guess I should start, do you think there is something inherently kind of different about him than there has been from other senators that have run on uh, from his party and his side in Texas.
1: You know know what I love about Beto? And and I'm I'm out there as a known supporter of Congressman Beto O'Rourke. This is one of the most conscious white dudes in America. (laughs) His his vocabulary, his demeanor, his whole spirit, it it just oozes – um, inclusion and love, and 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 a, and a relevant change that is that is hopefully what what we're going to get. Um, yeah, th- this guy this guy is the real deal. Even in just in in uh, in, in small intimate interactions with him, with small groups, um, the man knows how to speak his truth, and he speaks it from a point of uh, as an educated man that that understands multiple perspectives, and that right in and of itself is very, very refreshing. Uh, our job is to ensure that the communities of color and the people that we're interacting with are understanding that that is really what he's about. This guy is genuine and authentic, and I think that's what's giving him a real legitimate shot at getting that position.
0: Right. I know one of the things that I was most impressed about from him as a politician, besides him going to visit every single county, which is extremely impressive in the state of Texas. If you were listening to this and you are unsure of how big Texas is, there was, what, 364 counties? I could be wrong. It's somewhere in there. But he's visited every single one of them some multiple times because his whole point of his message has been, I want to go meet everybody in Texas to hear all of your concerns so I can be a better representative for you. And that was impressive to me. But then I found out that since he's been elected to the House of Representatives in his, his, uh, his district of or region, including El Paso, he hasn't missed a single town hall. And he's had them every on a regular occurrence. I want to say it's, uh, I don't remember if it was once a month or if it was once every couple weeks. But I know that whatever the occurrence has been, he's made a point to be back there for them every single time since he's been elected. And that, just to hear from his constituents and understand what's going on, what are their concerns, how he can improve their community and their life, and that was something that was so impressive to me because you don't, you don't see that. You don't see that regularity. And then the, the, the last piece that really stuck with me was I heard about his, his work with, I believe it was uh, Representative, uh, oh, uh, Representative Hurd, and they were working on bipartisan a bipartisan deal within congress and uh, william hurt yes that's who it was and the fact that he is able to have these bipartisan conversations in an effort to improve the lives of texans has been something that i've really appreciated because i often feel that texas on a national level gets overlooked and overthought on a lot of major decisions mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm going to agree with you. All 254 counties
0: that he visited—I was trying yeah. to give another hundred.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, you know, it, it's it's pretty special. You know, he he's come to Fort Worth a number of times as he has to. Like I watched him here recently hitting the college circuit. I mean, it, it's. It, I guess I'm going to be very very um, candid and vulnerable in saying that I I worry about how much he's out there. In that, to me, he is Kennedy-ish, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and he is uh, civil rights-ish uh, in 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 how bold he is in the way he speaks. Um, I fear um, not not that I want him to slow down or ease up, right? But that is on the back of my mind that that will I actually be living in a time in history when someone like this uh, may potentially be taken down because he is that special. Um, and having had the privilege and opportunity to introduce at a mercado in South Fort Worth um, this past uh, the end of the summer was pretty amazing for me to sit in Fort Worth, Texas and see Republicans, Democrats uh, and independents um, all gather in the same place and, and, and be open about the level of excitement that they had to see a, a human being who genuinely and authentically cares about all Texans of, of all walks of life. That's obviously a man that I know that has high, high levels of education, uh, fully aware of social justice issues, um, has again the updated vocabulary to reference people to minimize damage and understands the power of his words and is extremely cautious in he, how he uses them. And even having watched the debate to see how he looked um, at, at the opposite of all of those descriptions and how he stared at it in the face to say, this is what I really believe and this is what I know Texas has
0: the capacity to be. Um, I'm rooting for him 100%. Very good. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things that I wanted to touch about that I know is coming up, uh, I believe it's coming up this year for the first year, is the uh, four student get the specific holiday for uh, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Horta. Yep. So yep. talk to us a little bit about what it was like to the, it, well, and it, for those that are wondering how we're merging those two, we're talking about one leader and pivoting to another group of leaders. And and that's where our transition comes in. So, uh, but speaking to that, can you walk us through a little bit about what it was like to get the conversation started about actually getting a national holiday for them? And then now, what are you looking forward to? Because I know one of the things you had mentioned in, in the article that I saw, was that you want uh, Latinx students to use it as an on day, not an off day, or a day on, not a day off, just similar to uh, black students using Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, in the recent years. So speak to us a little bit about the origin of that and what your hopes are for uh, Latinx students in the Fort Worth ISD School District this year.
1: So the origin of that is that I'm a county employee, and in the Tarrant County, we celebrate Cesar Chavez Day. As a matter of fact, We worked today on what is nationally called Columbus Day, and we exchanged it for for Cesar Chavez Day, which coincides with his birthday on the last Monday of the month in March. And what happened is I'm sitting on that Monday uh, at home, um, enjoying the day off when most of the county is out working or in school. And I got to thinking, I'm sitting in the positional power a seat of positional power, and have I used this to the best of my ability to bring light to the Latinx community? And the answer was no. So I uh, called a couple of my colleagues and said, "Hey, what do you think about the idea?" You know, and, and hands down, they said, "Let's do it. Uh, if you bring it forward, we'll 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 put it on the agenda." And we did, and we so we did it after the actual Cesar Chavez holiday in Tarrant County. Um, and again, that comes back to what you and what you've seen, where I'm asking brown children uh, to name me five Latino/Latina Americans that help contribute to the making of society, and so everything just kind of coincides at the same time. We put it on the agenda, we vote unanimously, and and the resolution passes. But also because we do have the conversations with our My Brother's Keeper young men, we are constantly having the conversation of how do we stand in solidarity with one another. So that's where the connection to the Martin Luther King holiday came in, of doing it a day of service. And to go another step further, to have a conversation of how we stand in solidarity with the women in our community. That's when I thought, okay, the county celebrates Cesar Chavez, but how do we demonstrate to our women that we stand in solidarity with them and that we recognize that Dolores Huerta is the one that actually coined the term Si Se Puede. Yes, we can, and it wasn't necessarily Cesar Chavez. So there's the male chauvinism coming out uh, in America, right? Where yeah. the man gets the credit. So as I presented the idea to community leaders, everyone got really excited and said, "Well, you think it'll pass?" And I said, "You don't know this board. This board is there, right? Like we we get it." Yeah. And so that's how that's the history of how this uh, came about, and and the passing. We're really excited because we're in in high hopes that uh, when we do our first one here in March of 2019 that we really, really hope we can lock in Dolores Huerta to have her uh, be here. And we're partnering with a number of groups, including the Cesar Chavez Committee, that's already been in existence for a number of years, to uh, do a march. And the day of service in year one may not look like a day of traditional service. It very well may require us to sit our young people down to say, this is who these leaders were, this is what they were about, And then, again, hopefully have Dolores Huerta herself come and speak to the students and the parents and the community leaders and then build towards that legacy of what Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta were about. Social justice, community engagement, and empowering others uh, to to where we don't necessarily need to be saved, that we can can save our own selves by, by embracing our own power from within So that's really how we've gotten here. That's the hopes of what we hope to, that that March will look like uh, in 2019. And then what's happened is I'm part of the Mexican American School Board Association. I'm currently the vice president. And on a statewide level, we've been having a conversation. So Houston Independent School District followed us a couple of months later. They put it on their agenda, they passed it. So they will begin recognizing that in 2020 And then Grand Prairie Independent School District, our neighbors to our east, they put it on this past month. They passed it unanimously. And now there's a couple of other school districts around the state who are going to look to bring it forth. And we know that we were the first in the country to recognize both. Uh, There are definitely other school districts and other entities that recognize Cesar Chavez. But
0: we do believe that we're the first ones to recognize both together. That's awesome. Well, speaking about empowering people, Cinto, this has been a fantastic conversation. If people want to keep up with you and follow you and see what's up next, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: So I'm pretty active on my Twitter, as you probably know. And so yeah. I'm at, I'm at J-A Ramos underscore junior, J-R. And on Instagram, I'm, on, uh, I'm under Cinto Ramos Jr. So C-I-N-T-O-R-A-M-O-S junior. And then probably the easiest way is just go to my website at www.jacintoramosjr.com.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Cinto, thank you so much. This has, as always, been a delight, and I look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Man, Joe, it's always good to see you, man. You came with guns and to slinging today, brother. <laughs> you had all the hot topics, but I appreciate you. <laughs> I always like to do my research because it, it makes for a fun conversation. So, All right, uh, you listeners, uh, stick around. We'll be right back after this. Back to the Detox Podcast. That was my interview with Cinto. Always, always a pleasure having him on the show. He always brings lots of knowledge and is constantly trying to educate you as a person on how to better yourself. How I just I always get inspired when I speak with Cinto. And I am ready to just go conquer the world, be a powerful, positive force, and really be better with my better man and woman here on this earth. So, Cinto, thank you again so much for everything and for coming on the show. Uh, It's much appreciated. I know the guys feel the same way, and we're all just... uh, I cannot wait to have you back on again. So, uh, without further ado... We are going to go to America's favorite segment, Dad Joke of the Week. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. I give you a couple dad jokes, and you try not to groan too loudly. Uh, luckily, there's no other host here to groan, so you, I will have to imagine what the groans sound like. <clears throat> and since we are in October, I am providing a couple Halloween-themed jokes. Here we go. Why are graveyards so noisy? Because of all the coffin. Because of all the coffin. Why did the vampire subscribe to the New York Times? He heard it had great circulation. He heard it had great circulation. Last one for you here. Why didn't the mummy have any friends? He was too wrapped up in himself. He was too wrapped up in himself. Well, that was America's favorite segment, Dad Jokes of the Week which brings us to the hashtag roundup. So the hashtag roundup is a segment where throughout the episode or throughout the interview, I will write down certain things that were said or phrases and make them into a hashtag. And then at the end of the episode, I will narrow it down to three. And then myself and the other host or the interviewer or the guest, whoever, will decide what the hashtag of the episode is. But since it's just me, I will tell you the three I had and I will give you the hashtag of the episode. So. The three I had narrowed it down to are hashtag social construct, hashtag woke versus sleep, and hashtag truth to power. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and go hashtag woke versus sleep since Cinto had already used that as a hashtag. So we'll go ahead and keep that trending. And we're actually going to name the title of this episode truth to power to kind of get us two of those hashtags in there. So uh, if you know of somebody that needs to have their story told, or you would like to have your story told, you can reach out to the Detox Podcast at the following ways to get in touch with us to be able to share your story on the air. So the simplest way is to go to detoxpodcast.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com, you'll find all the ways to contact us. But in addition, you can also email us detoxpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're all under the handle at detoxpodcast. And of course, you can go to vocalnow.com, see our show link there and listen and engage with us through vocal as well. We would also appreciate if you go onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating. It takes you a couple seconds, and it means a great deal to us. It allows us to become more discoverable and be able to bring this specific story, amongst many others, to a greater number of people. So once again, until next time, hashtag woke versus sleep and hashtag be a better dad. Thanks, everybody. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's v o k a l now.com.